Welcome back to the Hops and Spirits Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. This week we go to the hoppy side of things as we welcome in the folks from Sig Lusher in Frankfort, Kentucky. That's right, we're back to beer after a few weeks on the whiskeys. Remember, Whiskey Weeks was presented by Obergatlinburg. Come discover all the wonderful things that Obergatlinburg Ski Area and Amusement Park has to offer. Experience breathtaking views as you ride the aerial tramway from downtown Gatlinburg to the mountaintop to play, shop, and dine. Summer tubing, wildlife encounter, coaster, ice bumper cars, alpine slide, chairlift, year-round ice skating, and much more equals fun for everyone. During the winter months, enjoy snow tubing, skiing, or snowboarding, or play in the cubby snow zone with your little ones. Fun festivals round out the calendar with Mayfest in the spring and Oktoberfest each fall. A mountaintop of fun and excitement high above Gatlinburg is waiting for you at Obergatlinburg Ski Area and Amusement Park. I want to thank Over Gatlinburg and uh, the folks there for, for being part of our giveaway and congratulations to our winners. You can find out who won on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages at Hop Spirits, all one word. But let's not waste any more time. And today joining us from Sig Lusher in Frankfort, Kentucky, we've got co-owner Tim Lusher and their brewmaster Dylan Greenwood. Guys, thanks for taking some time. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having us. Now, now, Tim, you are, let me make sure I get this correct, the great, great, great grandson of the original founder sig lusher is that correct that is correct um it's direct lineage it's it's how people go sig august 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 film you can guess who they didn't give you the family name there no no he's and that will still start a fight today (laughs) <laughs> now, for, for those that don't know, you guys have a lot of history. While you may have just reopened in 2018, Sig Lusher, uh, Sigmund Lusher, who founded it, the brewery, it dates back into the 1800s, uh, you know, back when, when Sigmund uh, Sig uh, founded it in, in Frankfurt, correct? Uh, actually, yes, it does, and it dates back even past Frankfurt. This is our uh, third brewery, technically. Um the first brewery was in Memphis, and it was burned down uh, in 1861 by Sherman. We have the papers for that one. Um, in 1865, he came back to Frankfurt, or came to Frankfurt, uh, bought an existing brewery, <clears throat> and reopened it in 1866. And that's kind of where we take our our cue from. Uh, but the brewery that he bought actually goes back to 1806. Um, so we've got history both directions. But um, yeah, then, as you mentioned, we reopened his brewery in uh, 2018. Uh, funny thing is that we are Frankfurt's first and second brewery without a brewery being in Frankfurt between those dates. <laughs> so there was just a little bit of, uh, of a gap there for, well, for those in Frankfurt. We were remodeling. <laughs> you were taking your time, getting it all, all correct. Now I, you, I think I re- read something um, that was pretty interesting when you kind of revived this, Tim, you didn't, you weren't thinking that it was going to happen when it did. No, well, no, I actually did not. Um, <clears throat> of course, timing is everything. Uh, and uh, meeting people at the right time also kind of spurs that. Um, you know, when we re- I revived this, I was in New York. And, uh, you know, opening a brewery in Frankfurt was not real high on my priority list. But as uh, things happened, um, you know, I ended up meeting Dylan out of a, um, actually kind of a, a missed email. Um, he called out of the blue two weeks after I even considered uh, opening the brewery, and suddenly I'd, I've got a brewmaster uh, on my doorstep, and uh, he's been with me ever since then, quite frankly. So yeah, it was, it, it was an odd series of timings uh, in 2018. Um, 
we went from, hey, it might be a great idea to open a brewery to buying a building within two months and then opening the, uh, the brewery full, um, completely open in eight months. So it's kind of a wild ride during 2018, but we got it done. And Dylan, why did you decide to to join up? Because I know you were in, in Louisville, at, you know, previously working for a brewery there. Why, what made you decide to make that jump? Um, well, I thought it was a great fit for me. I had just uh, done three years of at, as a master brewer at Fall City Brewery out of Louisville. And uh, that's also a heritage brewery. And um, the, the idea was similar, but I really liked, uh, you know, um, Tim and I became good friends and I liked the people involved. I liked that the story behind it and that Frankfurt didn't have a brewery and we would be the, the quote unquote first uh, brewery to be there. Um, so it was just a, it was a good opportunity and um, I liked their philosophy and their story and I wanted to be a part of it. And, and Tim, how, I mean, you know, people can go for, months and months without finding one a location to a brewmaster how how did i mean dominoes fell like perfect for well, for, for y'all it actually did it was um <clears throat> so unfortunately our original brewery was torn down uh the state uh, department of transportation now sits on top of it uh, the building we were in is quite literally across the street from it um happened to drive by one day uh saw that it was for, was for sale actually honestly well I really flew in to look at uh, the house next door and passed on the house at that time and saw this little barbecue shack uh, sitting in its backyard and called about it. And within we closed within two weeks. And when I mean, I mean, it's a barbecue shack. Um, if anybody's ever, you know, when they come to Sig Lusher, uh, I'd like to say we have a really beautiful tap room that sits in one room. That was the entire building. Uh, <laughs> one tap room. We had to build everything else onto that. I, I mean, how neat though is it to be you know right across the street from where the original uh you know lusher you know sig lusher's uh, brewery was because it, it is it is a small uh quaint uh <laughs> tap room I, i've been there a few times it's uh pre-covid days uh it's a tight fit uh inside than the little bit more room on the uh, screened in porch but uh what's it like being in that location though because i mean there's a lot of history still tied to to it too well, there is. And um, <clears throat> as Dylan you know, pointed out the reasons he got in the project, I got the selling point for me to reopen the brewery because, it, like I said, at that time, I had, reopening a brewery was not high on my priority list. Um, but it was the unique history we have with the, my family has in brewing and distilling that kind of got me into this and realizing that, okay, Frankfurt doesn't have a brewery. We have this opportunity that, quite frankly, that most breweries in the nation do not have. We have a legitimate history. It's very linear history and, um, you know, getting the, I think getting the location we did really cemented it because at that point, you know, we are close to the original uh, facility. We can tell that story. We literally can point out the window and go, it was right there. We have the photographs of the buildings, even from back in, uh, SIG's time. And so we can, we can tell that it's, it's, it's uh, Dylan said we are a heritage brewery. We're not a craft brewery in the sense that, um, we're putting out lots of recipes. We're putting out correct recipes. And we think that, it, you know, let's say most of them would have been produced by Sig himself. Um, so with that, you know, Frankfurt's full of a lot of history. We're, we're a mile away from Buffalo Trace, which we have some ties to as well. And so, it, you know, all the pieces kind of fit. And, you know, the location is, you know, location, location, location. We could have told the story somewhere else. 
but it would not have resonated uh, the way it does here. And Dylan, for for you, uh, what's it like to work at a, a place that is a heritage brewery? And for those that may not understand that, can you explain what a heritage brewery is? Uh, sure. Um, well, the heritage brewery um, owes a lot to, you know, the way that the, the first generation of European Americans who uh, brought beer to America did things. And, uh, you know, the mid 1800s, you had a large surge of Europeans, uh, Europeans coming to America and bringing with them uh, brewing techniques such as lagering, um, different brewing styles such as the Pilsner, which remains the most uh, popular um, uh, style in the country to the day to this day. Um, so what we do here is I kind of try to borrow um, on what they were doing, the traditions, but also realize that we though we may not call ourselves a craft brewery, we are still a modern brewery uh, brewing in this time. So we kind of try to borrow from, um, like I said, those old traditions, but obviously we're using modern ingredients, um, some modern techniques, um, but we always kind of um, tend to fall back on what Sig would have been doing and his peers at that time. And this part of the country may have been doing. And then for then for you all, you guys kind of have a, a unique, I don't want to say unique may not be the right word. It's a different take on, on, on a philosophy on beer. Like you guys, a lot of breweries, they might have, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 different beers, you know, over a year. That's not exactly what you all are looking to do. You guys have the Pilsner, you know, that's your, your main staple. And then you kind of just have a few others at, at any given time, right? you want to take this one? Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, people um, sometimes are a little taken back by the fact that they walk in, they see only four taps, but that's kind of our thing. We uh, we just do a few styles and we do them well. We try to, um, you know, keep it arranged so that people, um, you know, anybody can enjoy one of the beers. Um, but like you said, the, the Pilsner is the heavy hitter. It's the go-to, the flagship that everyone seems to enjoy. Um, and then... We uh, switch it up on the other three taps. You know, we do rotate in different styles. But like I said, it mostly um, will harken back to um, that time when Sig uh, made it to America and uh, the style, the styles that they were brewing and that uh, they were bringing over. And Jonathan, I want to kind of jump in on that of why we have only uh, four beers. You know, and I think you know, but um, uh, for the viewers that or the listeners that don't, I mean, Dylan's the brewmaster. He's the magic behind the beer. I get to taste things, which is great. I like being that person. Uh, but also, I, um, you know, it's my job to make sure that we sell beer. And for people, and not say craft brewers, but um, brew pub owners, uh, they'll tell you the same thing that no matter how many taps you have on, you really only sell four beers. Um, and the first two always being a light and a dark. That's why you see Guinness and Stella. And so, you know, the other thing, the philosophy we have at SIG, and we're going to, I apologize, Jonathan, I'll kind of jump around in stories, but, um, you know, what we found, you know, I guess part of our philosophy is that, you know, certain things, you know, with the craft brewing resurgence has, they've done more positives than negatives, but, you know, one of the negatives I believe is, you know, when uh, prior to the nineties, prior to the craft brewing, uh, yeah, you didn't have a lot of choices. Uh, you had a, you had a light and a dark pretty much every bar. 
but you also, you know, when you said, I'm going to go drink a beer, you're going to go hang out with your friends, you're going to drink whatever's local, whether it be Iron City, Falls City, Natty Bow, et cetera. And I think we've lost a little of that commonality and camaraderie by just, you know, going to have a beer. And, you know, with SIG, you know, that's kind of what we've tried to bring back. You're not there oh, um, stressing over the beer menu of 30 flavors, um, you've got four. And you generally, the SIG is our light, the uh, 66s are dark. And as Dylan pointed out, we rotate the remainder of them. And to your point, last year we had 10 beers. Uh, we've added a few this year just as uh, just for fun and for giggles. Um, and they've done really well. This next year we'll be adding even more, but they're all be, they will all be, uh, not to say one-offs, but very short runs. Because at the end of the day, people do like to try something new but they always gravitate back to what, you know, they drink all day. And that's what we believe our beer is. And, and Tim, I mean, for, for you, um, did, did anyone, when you kind of told them this philosophy, did they go, you're nuts? Cause I mean, you, like you said, you guys are doing it different. Uh, you're doing it well. Cause I love the pills. I, I've, I've loved every beer that I've had out there. Um, but I mean, did anyone say that's a weird strategy to, to try when everyone else is doing well, something different? Yeah. Real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there were, um, some heads being turned, especially when Tim at first told us that he only wanted two taps and, uh, we had to talk him down from that ledge. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we found a happy medium with four. It, it is a different philosophy if you think about where the craft brew world is going. But you know, my Dylan's job is to make great beer. My job is to make sure we sell it. Um, and with that, yeah, you get uh, beer aficionados, uh, uh, people that love craft beer, will say, "Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that?" Uh, but you know, we're really after the market of the people that just drink beer, and almost one hundred percent of those people love the Pilsner or tell me that they, that's all they drink. Thank you for doing this. And, um, and quite frankly, by the numbers and in the industry, that's what people drink. And, you know, if I'm looking at, um, you know, sales overall for the beer industry for a year and 85% of the uh, sales are coming from one style, guess what we're going to make that style. Hey, it may, may, makes perfect sense to me. And I'll be honest, as a guy that does enjoy a few different types of beers, I still end up only going back, uh, especially if I'm going to, you know, the big box store, so to speak, or wherever to pick up a six pack, there's very few six packs I, I get outside of, you know, a certain brand. So I, I totally understand that. Uh, for, for Dylan, for you, I, I read somewhere you're, that I'd almost classify you as a history buff because you did a lot, you've done a lot of research into the, the brewing industry, the history of it. What, what made you do that? And how has that kind of, uh, guided you in, in how you've been a brewer? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think part of my heritage too. Uh, you know, I've come from uh, German descent. Um, my great, great grandfather came over here from Germany. And so I always kind of felt a connection to that part of um, beer's history. The other part was, um, you know, as a home brewer, I was, I was soaking everything in um, and uh, history ended up being a part of that. And then, uh, you know, I came upon um, this style called Kentucky Common as I was reading and how it was kind of a lost style that was born in the city that I was living in. I got excited about that and uh, kind of dove, dove in uh, to try to figure out what was going on with that style. And that kind of took me on a, a pretty cool journey um, and a deep dive into beer history. 
Um, so that's, that's one beer style. I kind of hang my hat on, um, because it was, uh, it had a lot of meaning behind it because, um, I don't know, because the history of it just made it so rich and fulfilling. And, and you pretty much, I know you, you were able to do that at fall city. You pretty much in a sense revived that style cause it had kind of gone away, at least in, in the craft beer scene. Yeah, but we were the, uh, the first to bring it back, um, commercially available on a, a large scale, meaning not just a one-off brew at a brew pub somewhere. Um, so it, yeah, it was really cool. And, uh, the, the neat part about that was that I had already been, um, studying Kentucky common for years and trying different, uh, versions of it and reading on it and the history. Um, when a, uh, a widower, um, uh, gave her husband's, um, brew sheets from Ertl's uh, Brewing Company to the UofL Archive Library. And um, I was able to actually see an original recipe for the first time. And uh, that was the impotence for uh, brewing my own version and actually putting it in a bottle, getting it back on shelves, uh, getting it back at Churchill Downs, which was a pretty cool thing. And uh, we do a different version of that here now. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, like I said, a really uh, cool thing and uh, very fulfilling. And were you, and before you got into the, the brewing world as a, as a full-time job, were you an elementary school teacher before that? Yes, I was. Yeah. I was a <laughs> full-time teacher, part-time home brewer. And then I was a full-time teacher, part-time brewer. And then I was full-time at both. And I decided I needed to pick one and I went with brewing. What, what led you to, to go full-time into brewing? Was it just that love of, of the, the styles and the different, you know, being able to use, different recipes to create different things. What, what pushed you full time that way? Yeah, it's just a, it's a passion for me. Um, I like being able to create things, you know, I've always been a home cook and anything I can make myself, I feel like I can do it to my taste, which means I can do it better. Um, so, uh, that was kind of my philosophy with beer. Um, and I just got way into it and um, really kind of lucked into the part-time professional gig just by going around town and talking to professional brewers about what they do and how they do it. And one day one of them offered me a job and I was like, yeah, I guess, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, some things uh, work out, right? Yeah. And I fell in love with it and yeah, here I am. And and uh, my, my kind of last question, you know, just specifically for you, Dylan, is, you, you kind of have that throwback brewing style. You love the the beers of kind of the old days, kind of pre-prohibition. Why did you gravitate toward those styles? Um, like I said, it's it's part my family heritage. It's part being uh, a history buff. Um, but also, you know, these, these recipes are recipes that have stood the test of time. So, you know, they're going to be good. Uh, something that popped up, you know, last January, and some corner of the world might be a flash in the pan and it might be fun to brew once or twice, but I, I find more uh, joy and, uh, you know, fulfillment out of doing a, uh, a tried and true recipe. Well, and, and Tim, I feel like that's a perfect Dylan is that perfect fit for what you guys were looking for, uh, where you guys are just making good beer. That's your goal is to make good beer or as the can say, historically good beer <laughs> i appreciate the plug thank you uh yes it was it was an excellent fit um and quite frankly why dylan and i became friends very quickly um you know i probably mentioned earlier that 
<clears throat> you know, given the styles we do, um, Dylan does make them the best um, version of that style, I believe. And I've, so far, he's hit it out of the park every single time. You know, if we do kind of deviate off that historic um, track, it's not very far. We've done what uh, we did a pawpaw sour, mm-hmm. uh, but we did it because of Kentucky Proud and relationship with Kentucky State University, who grows the pawpaws. We just recently, which I just finished one, um, we did a strawberry hefeweizen. Uh, why mm-hmm. we did a strawberry hefeweizen is my family's been growing strawberries since 1871. So, you know, while we do kind of mess with the recipes a little bit, they aren't just straight, uh, light, dark beers that Sig would have done. Um, you know, there's a reason to it. And, and, you know, the biggest reason is they just taste really damn good. Uh, but, you know, with that said, there's always kind of a story behind uh, what we do here at Sig. And, and uh, I'm guessing there's a story too, or at least a purpose, because you guys are more of a public benefit corporation, you're, you're, which means you're not just all about the profits. You guys, you know, you want to bring new things to the area where you're at. Um, you want to bring visitors in. You want to bring businesses in. You even have solar panels and you your spent grain goes to local farmers. Why was that? Well, why we, is that so important? The solar panels are slightly invisible. They, they actually never got installed. Ah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> Uh, we get we occasionally get that question, and I lead them outside and tell them to look up and squint really hard. You can almost. See. <laughs> um, but with that said, you're absolutely right. We are a public benefit company, and you know, early on, I, um, you know, one of my days in New York, I was familiar with uh, B Corps, which is what that's what a PVC is, um, and because it just gives you the flexibility to do the right thing. Uh, you know, we are like any corporation; we are concerned with profits. Obviously, we want to make money. But we want to have the flexibility um, to also help the community because that, you know, as I mentioned now, probably, I don't know, the 10th time, um, you know, going back to our original uh, days in Frankfurt, um, in Sig's days, and with any, with any German beer garden or, uh, or brewery, uh, there is a sense of community, it is, a, uh, is a gathering place. And we like to feel that's the same now as it was then. You know, the story within uh, Sig's time was that he always kept a barrel of beer by the door in a tin cup uh, if anybody was ever thirsty. And, you know, people find that, well, that's great. We can do that now. I mean, the reality is that was, that was necessity. And he was being a good uh, citizen at that time because, you know, beer is safer than water and the water was not safe to drink. So, you know, he, he did uh, make sure that the citizens of Frankfurt, if they were thirsty and they wouldn't get sick, they would be able to have something to drink. And, you know, it's simple stories like that. We like to give back. Yes, we do um, take community uh, very seriously here in Frankfurt. Uh, we do give, uh, uh, quite frankly, freely to a lot of the charities um, because we believe that, you know, that's the community we want to be in and we want to be active in that community. And and, and for you all, too, you know, you, you were the, the first again. Um, but you know, there's an, a nice little beer community there. Now you have the West six farm, you've got Goodwood, you, 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 all are there. And then even the bourbon industry, you know, Buffalo trace castle and key. What's it like to be kind of part of that history of Frankfurt where uh, you can see things kind of working together again? Um, it, it's, it, it, once again, like I said, I did, you, you mentioned it was kind of the pieces falling into place. Um, and we can still kind of see that pattern now. Yeah. It's great to see that the Frankfurt beer scene growing as, you know, the questions I would get when we first announced we were opening, well, how many uh, breweries can Frankfurt hold? I go, I don't know, four, 10, 40? Uh, because at some point in time, you don't want to be an island. You don't want to be the one of only. 
and you want people to come in for that scene. Um, you know, with the brewing industry, you know, I guess it's as good a segue as anything with our history with, um, uh, you know, that particular um, segment is that we've always had, a, SIG has always had a history with um, uh, what's now Buffalo Trace. Uh, back in the day, SIG and um, E.H. Taylor did business. We sold the, we sold the yeast to um, E.H. Taylor's distillery at that time. And then flash forward uh, 60 years, my grandfather took over Buffalo Trace from Albert Blanton. So, um, you know, we have a lot of commonality with that one particular distilling um, no, uh, distillery, but we also have a, you know, a commonality um, with distilling in general. And so it's, it's kind of a great place to, to be as far as this uh, kind of a birthplace of bourbon, this epicenter that we, we've got going on here is with all the stories you mentioned, getting more breweries. We could always have more breweries, um, in my personal opinion. Uh, to kind of bring people and you know find the gem that Frankfurt is. And then right right now we're in a weird time in the sense of you know you got to be be safe as visitors come and, and so forth. You all have a, a smaller tap room. Mm-hmm. Um, how how has that been for, for you all adjusting? And now we're getting into the colder months. Uh, what are, what are you guys looking at doing uh, for for you know the winter? So we were luckier than most. Um, we are luckier than most, I guess. Uh, since you, you know, you've been to our tap room. Um, most of our property is actually a beer garden. So as you mentioned, the tap room is small. In the best days pre-COVID, it seats eleven people. The patio is set thirty. The brew house is at twenty-five. You know, all that's kind of gone now. You know, you we're at half capacity inside, and actually we are at even less than that, just because it is such tight quarters. Um, and I you know, don't want, you know, as you said, we're a small operation. Uh, everybody here is very dear to us and we don't want anybody getting sick. So we moved everything to outside. So that's how we've been operating uh, through the summer, through the spring. We were lucky enough to have, you said, a, a very large beer garden, uh, which we were able to tent. And that tent stands now. We had intended it to be up for Derby and kind of come down after that. It's now been up six months. <laughs> and last Friday, we just dropped the sides on it. And to mitigate winter, uh, we purchased two very large furnaces for it. So, um, you know, going into winter and going, you know, obviously it doesn't seem to be slowing down uh, this pandemic, but we're trying to do our best to make sure people feel safe. And, you know, with that, a lot of that is going to mean you're going to be a little bit cold this winter. Uh, We're going to try to heat you as best as possible. And we've got the utilities to do that. But, you know, sitting inside next to a fire with 100 other people is just not going to happen. And so with that, we hope you'll drink more beer. <laughs> drink more beer and dress warm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, and my last question for, for, for y'all, I always like to leave this out there for, for anyone, is what, what's next for, for, for Siglusher? I mean, um, you know, a lot of places they might add an extra tap room somewhere else um, or they're expanding into different markets. Uh, what, what's next for you guys? Well, um, that's actually kind of exciting and a great question. And then I want to follow that up, if you would if you allow me, uh, with a couple of our stories that we like to end uh, end with. Yeah. But, um, you know, you hit us at the right time. We are expanding. So we are a small brewery right now. We're getting to be a bigger brewery. Uh, so, you know, when you were here, you, uh, you were, whoever comes here will see that we're more of a compound than an actual building. Uh, you have the tap room, the patio, the little brew house attached. Um 
And then our back back property, we have our cold storage and what was our dry storage. That dry storage is now, Dylan, you want to fill them in? <laughs> it's a new brewery. <laughs> Woo. Uh, yeah, so bigger and better brewery. We're, we're still working on uh, getting everything set up, but we'll be able to do a lot of more uh, beers in-house and a lot more beer in general. So it's exciting. It's, uh, it really expands. You know, the, one, the problem I think a lot of breweries will tell you, especially when they're trying to get into the distribution game, is you're limited by how much you can produce. And we're no, no, um, no different than anybody else. Uh, this allows us just to produce more. And, um, you know, thanks. I'd, I'd like to you know, give a shout out to our um, uh, partners up at uh, Wooden Cask, uh, Karen and uh, Randy, who do our Pilsner, and they do a great job at that. Uh, this, you know, this adding this brew house to Frankfurt just allows us to, like I said, create more um, and frees up a little bit of capacity for them to even make more Pilsner for us. So um, that's kind of our biggest news for 2000. Hopefully we'll have that in place uh, for 2021. Uh, we're shooting for January 1, which is really close to our, um, our anniversary, which is December 28th, uh, to make that announcement that we have a fully working, um, a big, well, we have a fully working one now, but a much larger one uh, ready to go. That's exciting. That's, that, that's very exciting. And, and I love to see that. Well, thank you. And then, um, I mentioned a couple stories that, um, you know, just, I, I find interesting as far as trivia, et cetera, from, um, our standpoint, you know, we be, keep mentioning you know, what, what makes us different than other or most breweries is, you know, the history that we have, um, specifically incredibly unique, unique history. And so this is, I guess this is the uh, prologue of, um, of the, the, the podcast today, giving everybody a little bit of uh, beer trivia that, um, you know, a log, you know, I'm sure every, I would hope that every uh, one of your uh, listeners uh, kind of knows what a lager is and what it does. It's about the yeast. We've mentioned yeast a couple of times, but you know, we were no different than any, any other German brewer. We were kind of a victim of the seasons here in Frankfurt. Um, uh, because yeast or lagering does need um, uh, you know colder temperatures to ferment. And I'll ask you a question, Jonathan, real quick. Are you a bourbon drinker? I, I do dabble in the bourbons. Okay. Um, and this is not a trick question, so I don't want anybody listening to be offended. <laughs> but do you like ice in your bourbon? I, I, I prefer ice in my bourbon. You're welcome. <laughs> we invented it. And that's, people look at me like, you know, you're crazy. And that's just really kind of an asshole thing to say, but no, we actually did. Um, Sig invented the first commercial ice machine and it was not for ice and bourbon. It was for that lagering process we just mentioned. That's why we had, where we had lager caves along with other breweries, but we were the able, we were suddenly able to now uh, produce beer year round. And he put it in production in the eight, in 1880, got the patent in 1883, which hangs on our wall. And then 1884, it went commercial. So if anybody, like I said, is that kind of beer um, beer trivia buff and you know, kind of knows what the production numbers were from the uh, 80s or 1880s, you know, they'll know that in 1885, production of beer in uh, the U.S. went through the roof. And that was solely because of SIG's ice machine, which also leads into the fact that's why we also have refrigeration and HVAC was off that one patent. Uh, we were slightly mentioned in Wired Magazine a few months ago uh, about that as the Midwest German brewer who invented who invented the ice machine. And I love that. Yeah, it's like I said, it, Frankfurt's a fun place. It's got a, a lot of history to tell. We've got a lot more. I mean, that's why I got into this uh, game, was telling that story, was bringing back something that um, 
you know, had, had been slightly lost or just slightly misplaced. And then, you know, the other ties, meeting Dylan, um, who also had the same philosophy, uh, just really kind of meshed everything together. Um, the other two things, like kind of still bourbon related, um, which we really didn't touch on, Dylan kind of talked about his E.H. Taylor, or he talked about his Kentucky Common. What he didn't mention is the, the Kentucky Common is in what? E.H. Taylor barrel. Yes. So, <laughs> that connection to uh, Buffalo Trace, uh, I'd like to think we're, you know, we're a little unique in the fact that, we, that Dylan can match beer to barrel, and we're able to get very specific barrels for very specific beers. The E.H. Taylor uh, barrel specifically, it, it specifically, um, houses our Kentucky Common, which he keeps live. I'm looking at it right now. It's got a water lock on it because when it doesn't, it'll explode. Um, but you know, with that, we have five other uh, bourbon barrel aged beers, but they're not, I would like to think they're a little atypical. They're not uh, a beer that's aged in a barrel just to taste like bourbon. We don't leave them in that long. Uh, some we do on purpose, but it's for a reason. And so what we're trying to do is really bring out that um, both the beer flavor and the bourbon flavor, flavor uh, marry it into something that's new, but something that's also an, uh, something that's unique to itself. And with that, we have four, uh, four of those coming out next week. We have the H. Taylor, the what is it? Uh, pre-prohibition porter in the stag barrel. We have the 66 in the Blanton's, Blanton's barrel. barrel. And we have the um, Red Rye Lager and Sazerac Rye Barrels. Yeah. So those four next week and then coming up for Christmas, if people have been coming here that long, um, the very first beer that had been brewed commercially in Frankfurt was a uh, Santa Claus beer. And uh, we have the next year's version of that coming out in December. So we're barreling those. And so yeah, going back to there's always something unique. We don't have 20 taps here at SIG, but you always find something you can't get anyplace else. Uh, I, I love that, and, and I love how you guys always find a way to tie it back to, to history. You make the correct connections, and you're making some really, really cool beer, really good beer, and you guys have an amazing story. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and I'm going to lead with you with a uh, um, court case, uh, Jonathan, that we kind of tell people when they come visit us. Um, and if people that aren't listening or that are listening um, don't realize that, yes, you can get arrested for uh, drunk driving horse, uh, also a lawnmower and <laughs> other small implements, but a horse particularly because the argument's always made that the horse knows its way home, but yeah, you're controlling the horse. Um, in SIG's time, um, you know, obviously you can arrest somebody, but then you got to prove they're drunk. So the fact that it went to court, it came to just say, you know, uh, a a grade school pissing match. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. And so obviously the, the gentleman uh, pleaded not guilty to being drunk by the time they could try him. He was sober. So uh, they didn't really have proof that he was drunk at that point. Um, but they were determined to prosecute. So they brought in um, the uh, local expert on drunkenness, which would have been SIG as the expert. Actually, they labeled him the uh, um, expert on alcohol production, I think, um, but brought him to uh, testify uh, in or uh, in this trial over this drunk horseback riding. And we are luckily, luckily with, with Google, we are able to uh, bring up a lot of our history now. It's all been digitized, so we can actually look through the court papers, court papers, the newspapers, etc. This one particular uh, court case was documented in the local paper. And for whatever reason, it was uh, documented in phonetic English. And I'll kind of try to paraphrase the uh, transcript and 
uh, give you a very terrible German accent at the same time. So it, you know, Sig was asked, was this gentleman drunk? And he's like, well, gentlemen, I do not know if this man over here is drunk or not. I can only tell you that uh, what I drink every day. And um, well, in the morning, I have one, two, uh, about six beers. Uh, lunch, ach, no more than six beers. Uh, afternoon, about six beers. Um, and dinner, uh, no more than six beers. Uh, so I cannot tell you if this man is drunk, but I can tell you that if any man gets drunk off beer, he's a damned hog. <laughs> don't know if the gentleman got off or not with that uh, with that testimony, and I can't really tell if that really helped him. But uh, you know what we took out of it was anything less than twenty four uh, beers a day uh, by Sig's calculation, you're good to go. So, hey, Sig's a good man. He's a good man. <laughs> well, thank you for everything, Jonathan. Uh, uh, this has been yeah, fun. Yeah, Tim, Dylan, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you. Oh man, it was so much fun talking with Dylan and Tim of Sig Lusher Brewery there in Frankfort, Kentucky. If you're coming in for the Bourbon Trail, coming in to check out some breweries, or just visiting this uh, cool area that I live in in Kentucky, uh, you got to check them out. So much history there, such a neat little spot, uh, and they do some great beers too. So remember Sig Lusher uh, Brewery there in Frankfort, Kentucky. Next week, we go back to whiskeys. Nicole Austin's our first return guest. You might remember her when she talked about George Dickel. Well, Cascade Hollow, which is the home of George Dickel, has released a new whiskey, and Nicole will be on to talk about that. And we'll also be talking to someone that's part of our Things We Love holiday giveaway. I don't want to give too much away. You'll have to check that out next week. Remember to find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Hop Spirits, all one word. Don't forget to check out our Partners in Crime one Sip Beer Review there on Instagram at One Sip Beer Review. They do near daily beer reviews, giveaways, and so much more. That's at One Sip Beer Review. Until next time, cheers, everyone. <laughs>